questions that Jesus asked. Perceptive questions. Jonathan, I was in McCracken on Sunday, but I hear Jonathan spoke about that question that for years I couldn't understand. Do you want to get healed? Nearly sounds like a Van Morrison song. He's doing something tonight as well, but uh, do you want to get healed? I mean, if you're with somebody who's blind or somebody who's paralyzed or somebody who's why would you ask them if they want to get healed? Surely they would want to get healed. And yet, as I go on and on in pastoral ministry, it's the most important question. Because many people are content in who they are, even in some of their pain. And maybe if that becomes your identity, you don't want to get healed. Perceptive question. The other strange one in this that was a throwaway to me for a long time was, who did the crowd say that I am? Jesus, praying with his followers. Who did the crowd say that I am? And I used to move on quickly to, aye, but what about you? But actually they come together. And when you get questions from Jesus, usually the question itself is perceptive. Who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say Jesus is today? Because actually the truth is, and this is maybe one of the many perceptive parts of it, your answer and my answer, whether we like to think about it or not, will be influenced by the crowd's of our century, our decade, our year. And these are difficult times because the crowds. We have a shadow of history of a very conservative, narrow, cold, rigid, Presbyterian fundamentalism that is one of the crowds of who is Jesus? Is he this? And then you go to the other side of the fence and you have a completely secular Britain that laughs at the very mention of Jesus or that anybody would even consider following Jesus or being a Christian. And it's with all those voices around us that we as a church are called to ask people who they say Jesus is. And that we have to answer. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Ultimately, it's not about the crowds. It's about you. But we've got to, got to discern the voices around us that influence us. Who do the crowds say that Jesus is? I looked across the crowds And I've got a few answers from one in the crowd. He's in conversation and somebody's saying to him, well, Jesus is just a reasonably good teacher and a good fellow, wasn't he? He says, no. Actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. 
I'm saying I am the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase in the level of Charles Manson. Jesus, who do you say that he is? Could he be the Messiah? This person goes on to view the world. Says he loves the idea that God says, look, you cretins, there are certain results to the way we are, to selfishness. There's morality, mortality as part of the sinful nature, and let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? There are consequences to the actions. Okay? The person in this crowd saying that Jesus is the Messiah, and that there's sin and a sinful nature alive within us. Then he goes, grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the consequences of your actions, which is, in my case, very good news. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world. So that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our good works that gets us through the gates of heaven. Who do we say that he is? I suppose those quotes take us to realizing he's the way through the gates of heaven. It's the context of the phrase for the weekend. The way the truth and the life comes when a disciple says, we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's how. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God becomes incarnate. God interrupts world history. God hangs on a cross. God takes the sin of the world. God is raised to new life. And we can be through that and faith in that raised to new life. Jesus is the way back to God. The veil of the temple is torn in two at that moment on the cross. The way back to God. He's talking about this mansion that's big enough for all of us. And he's saying, you want to know the way to that place in eternity? I am the way. That's good news. That's a nice caress in 200 years celebration. That's what we believe. Jesus is the way. But we all know that. And as a preacher coming on a Friday night at the start of this, I'm thinking, that really is teaching granny to suck eggs right there. Not that I'm thinking that Kate and down in the corner, Jasmine's a granny, but you know what I'm saying. So what does it mean for us in a 200-year celebration, these questions and this Jesus is the way? Well, the thing I wrestled with as I was thinking about this this week, I wrestled with it in a very interesting time because the moderator was in Presbytery last week and the moderator said in all kinds of interesting things that I think our denomination are saying about transformation and change. 
And then at Presbytery, Brian Hughes was talking about transformation and change. And the difficulty of that and the pain of that. And then this week I was at a meeting. I got myself off a committee at Presbytery because I was too busy with the McCracken uh, conveniership. And they were very kind to let me off that. And at the end of the Presbytery that they said that, they put me onto two committees. Not sure how that works. That's Presbyterianism, I guess. But at the two committees that was at this week about leadership and about the shape of the Presbytery, we were talking about transformation and change. If you look at the South Belfast Presbytery, they were apart. There are some churches that are literally being pronounced dead. Three or four others that will soon be pronounced dead. Four or five others that are precarious. And there's only about six of us that they think of any kind of lifespan. We're thinking about change. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about these 200 years of history of a place and looking to see, well, where, what does that mean for the future? And I think these questions are crucial to that future. Particularly that one, who do you say that I am? Because it seems to me that the way Jesus did not mean that he was the door to heaven and that we wait here until we die and then because he's the way, the door opens and then we go. The way started for the disciples right there at that moment when he said, you're the way, the truth, and the life. This is a way to truth. This is a way to life. This is a way to live. It's not a theology. It's not a doctrine. Those things are good and we should have them. It's not a liturgy. It's not a program. What we are putting our trust in, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? What we're putting our trust in is flesh and blood. The word became flesh and lived for a time among us and tells us to follow him. So as we pondered this week, we talked about liturgies. I have been to a few liturgies, not here, but I've been to a few liturgies in the last month, and they were brilliant. Brilliant hymns. People loved them. Service was brilliantly crafted. And I told them, that was brilliant. But if you do it for the next 15 years, you'll be closed. We talked about liturgies. We talked about new media. How do we work Facebook? How do we do Twitter? How do we get the word out? That Jonathan Abernethy Barclay seems to be able to use that iPad thing. Should we be starting to use that? We talked about the ambience of buildings. We need a warmer approach into churches. We don't need them to be cold blue doors. We need some other light into church. We need to look at how our buildings are working. We looked at branding. We thought it's very important what people perceive of who we are and what we do inside. We talked about mission. How do you do mission? How do you get into the neighborhood? What sort of events? Is it alpha we need to do? Is it, what is it? And as we did it all, I couldn't help but thinking that all those things have to be talked about, thought about, and I would say all of them have to be changed. But none of them are the way. Jesus is the way. It's flesh and blood. It's action. It's living. This morning upstairs, we had hundreds of people through the doors from the neighborhood. Africans, Asians, Europeans. They were doing armchair aerobics upstairs. There was a drum circle in here, and it was the community of uh, the Holy Lands and Botanic Avenue. This was their fair day, and up they came to us. They came in here last night. 
And a few of us told them about Fitzroy. And you know, as they're sitting there, about 50 people last night from the community finding out what's going on in Lorag and Mornington and all these other places. I was sitting there and it didn't even cross my mind that I would be able to entice them to come tonight. Just wasn't even in my computer radar that that would be a possibility. And then I started thinking, who do the crowds say that he is? Who do those people that were here last night say that he is? Who do those people that were upstairs today say that he is? Do they say he's that guy that they worship in the church in the corner? And it was nice, but didn't seem relevant to me? What have they said? He's the guy that sat down with a Samaritan woman at the well halfway down Agincourt Avenue. Or he's the guy that invited the Zacchaeus of the neighborhood that nobody else took any time for to come down out of the tree and he was going to go for lunch with him. What have they said? He's the guy who went to the leper in the community and touched them when nobody else would. Now let me ask us, if we're going to last for another 10 or 15 or 20 years, what one works? New liturgies? Or was it not more obvious? Following the way. So, if Jesus came to our prayer meetings, we might do that thing that we do where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst. It's a nice feeling, that one, isn't it? Not as easy to find in the scriptures, mind you. It seems it would be more obvious to find because we use it plenty. But I had this moment with it that was a bit tricky. I was on the townships of Cape Town. And without question, I thought I was bringing Jesus. And then discovered really quite bizarrely that Jesus met me. I sensed that in this poverty that Jesus was there. And then that night I drove back into white South Africa down into the South Belfast of white South Africa and I went to a church pretty much like ours and we started it with those words where two or three are gathered. Jesus is in the midst. At that moment, I think it was God said to me, that's right. I am. Right here. But you know what? The passage you know better than that one tells you where to find me. When you do it to the homeless... When you do it to the naked, when you do it to the prisoner, the sick, 
you do it to me. Jesus is the way. I imagine almost 100% of you in this room right now would say yes. Explain to me why. And quote me some good theology that think I could have added to the sermon. But that's not where I'm going to go tonight. I'm going to say, when was the last time we spoke to Jesus? And was it even on committee when we discussed whether the insurance might not cover the fact that he sleeps under the tower? If he went into our places of work, would he say, great, you're doing really well? All that education you did, inst works, it's a year younger than Fitzroy, but it works. Methody works. It's a great job. That promotion. The stuff you're doing. Thompson sent me a blog tonight that said, success is the catalyst of failure. Might be straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. What would he say? What would he say if he went on holidays with us? What would he say if he came round when we were going out for dinner? You know, he might say, the lilies of the field, they neither toil nor spin, and they look a whole lot better than you do now, with all your Hollister finery. Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. What would he say to Protestantism in Northern Ireland? Would he come in and he would say, you've prayed more than any other community in the world has prayed for 45 years. I have never heard as many prayers about peace in all the time I've been listening to prayers. But none of you are making peace with the enemy. How can there be so many people praying? And 200 years after the first sectarian riot, there'll be a standoff on Twadell Avenue. Would he say, love your enemy? Do good to those who curse you? Would he? I think he'd say exactly the same things that he said when he was here. And they are hard to hear. Who do we say that he is? I've unpacked all week, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And it frightens the life out of me because I'm not sure that we've seen it for a very long time. We're busy. I've had so many apologies about tonight. I don't expect us all to come tonight. There's no obligation to come tonight. It doesn't get us into heaven. But trying to get meetings to organize something or trying to get some things done. Have you done that thing recently where you all say, right, well, uh, let's just get all our diaries out. Oh, no, not that night. No, no, no. I can do that night, but I can't. No, I can't do it. No. Um, try that. No, no, I can't do that one. Have you tried that? Success. It's a catalyst of our failure. Because there's so many options with success. 
Go to the swimming pool. Go to the golf club. Go to the yacht club. We can have a ski holiday as well as a summer holiday. We can get this job and that job, and we can do those other things as well because it opens up all those opportunities. And that seems to me, and I may be wrong, and you may come back at me and think my discipleship's far too harsh here, but it seems that that's the second bit of the verse. All these things will be added unto you. If, if we seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus is the way. Not an idea. Not a book. Not words on a page. The word and flesh and blood moving into the neighborhood. And we will be here in 200 years if we do that. If that's our answer. Because I think we're not listening to the crowds in our theology of the divinity of Jesus. But we're listening to the crowds in the priorities of our lives. We're listening to the crowds in what we think we deserve. We're listening to the crowds in the way that we will spend our time. Because we have the right to spend our time that way. And we have the way who hangs on a cross in surrender and sacrifice for others. So, I'm back to Blondin. Yes, we believe Jesus is the way. Hopefully we'll learn more tomorrow night about Jesus is the truth. We might learn a wee bit more about how to live Jesus on Sunday. But he's standing with a wheelbarrow saying, are you getting in? Because the way to follow the way is to follow exactly what Jesus did in my life and in your life. What do the crowd say is the way we should live? How does Jesus say we should live? Who do the crowds say that he is? What about me? Let's pray. Lord, the centurion is just a sketch. But somebody did stand there at the foot of the cross and eventually did cry, surely this was the Son of God. The Samaritan woman went to tell her neighborhood, surely this was the Son of God. It's the case. didn't only tell his enemies who were his neighbors, but he gave them back four times when he took from them. When we spend time in the presence of Jesus, it frightens us, shakes us, transforms us, and causes us to live differently.
Lord, we thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive in Christ. We thank you that you demonstrated our love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for that veil rent in two. We thank you that Jesus is the way back to God and the way to eternal life, that believing in him allows us to become heirs of God. That if we believe in him, we shall not perish but have everlasting life. We give you thanks for that. We praise you for that. But we ask you to take the caress of that and then collide with the lives that we live with the voices of the crowd around us. And we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to dig deep into our souls and search us to see whether the lives we're living, the priorities we have, the ambitions that we're looking at, is seeking first the kingdom of God. Lord, by your Spirit, make us alive in Christ to move into this neighborhood with such a lifestyle that people will have to see who you are. In Jesus' name we commit and dedicate our lives. Amen.